And this week we're talking about giving as one of our seven kingdom challenges. We looked at forgiveness first, and then the idea of prayer, and then humility. Now, giving. And how does a disciple, how does a follower of Christ give in a world that is consumed with taking? Amen? I mean, this is so close to last week's theme when our world is consumed with ourselves and pride and, and celebrity status. It shouldn't be surprised that giving becomes hard for people consumed with themselves. Are you with me? But on the heels of humility, I think giving is a natural outflow of, of, the, of a discipled life. So how does that look and, and how does one give? We're going to talk about that today. And, and God may do just what that video said. He may start asking you for your high entertainment, hi-fi, Wi-Fi, gaming system. He may ask you for ten bucks. He may ask you for who knows what. What are you going to do when He asks you to go beyond the ordinary, out of your comfort zone? What are you going to do? Let's talk today about giving. I want you to say that opening line with me that, that I shared with you, that I, I believe the story in our text teaches, and also I've seen through the Bible, and that's this. When God enters a life, giving becomes a way of life. Will you say that with me? It'll be behind me on the screen. Say it with me. When God enters a life, giving becomes a way of life. Unfortunately, too many people are like the businessman who was away on a trip for a few days. was on his way home and he thought, you know, I really need to get something for my wife. It'd be good to give her a gift. and She's been so helpful. And So he stopped by the, the perfume counter and he asked the clerk, he said, I need, you know, just kind of a small, inexpensive gift. She brought out a $50 bottle of perfume and he said, well, give anything just to, I mean, not quite as much money and she brought out a $30 bottle. He said, well, could you show me something maybe, maybe not quite that much? So she looked a little puzzled. and She brought back a, a $20 bottle of perfume. It was pretty small, you know. He said, well, what I'm really trying to say is, could you show me something kind of cheap? So she brought back a mirror. <laughs> you know, that's pretty stinging, isn't it? But sometimes it takes an act like that for us to realize, man, I, I'm not really giving at all. And we're hit face to face with maybe our own selfishness, aren't we? God requires us to be giving. He asks us to be giving. And to make that happen, He enters our life, fills us with His Spirit. The moment we believe, He enters our life, gives us His Spirit, and that helps us, enables us to be a, a person with a giving spirit. Because I believe that when God enters a life, giving becomes a way of life. In fact, would you say that one more time with me? When God enters a life, giving becomes a way of life. Look at Luke chapter 19, verse 10. A great text, a great story as we are studying through the book of Luke that describes and depicts... What it means to give. Now, a lot of you may not have realized that Zacchaeus is actually a wonderful story about how God entered a life and giving became a way of life. We often see it in other veins, like, you know, the, the tree climbing vein. We see Zacchaeus maybe through a short man's vein. But I think one of the primary textual meanings is that when God enters a life, giving becomes a way of life, even for the most selfish, deceitful kind of people, which is what Zacchaeus was. He was more than a tax collector. The Bible says here specifically he was what? A chief tax collector. He actually taught the rookies how to go about extorting more money than necessary from, the, from those who were in the occupied territory. He taught them how to go about being deceitful and how to do more than just average. He was one of those ones that was really good at what he did. And yet in his life, God entered... And giving became a way of life for him. Luke chapter 19. Now, if you struggle thinking about Zacchaeus being a giving story, I want to just walk you real briefly through this simple, um, uh, through this, that, that giving is seen in a lot of these stories. So with your pen handy, and, you, and you've got a, a piece of paper there, your teaching tool from your worship order, I want you to note this. This is very interesting. And you might, you might have missed this. But contextually, giving really fits the chapter. Look with me at these three things I want to show you about Luke chapters 18 and 19. We've got a large focused text for today, but look how much giving is a part of this text. I'm going to show it behind me, David. If you can find that slide, that'd be great. There's three things. Look at this. In Luke 18, 
The rich young ruler was a, is a story about a man who couldn't give anything away. Remember that story? And then next he talks about disciples who had already given everything away. And then the last part of Luke 18 is about Jesus Christ who is soon to give His own life away. He actually says, I'm off to Jerusalem. And then we come to Luke 19 about Zacchaeus who meets Christ and says what? I'll give half of everything and I will pay back fourfold what I've stolen. I mean, you think about it truly, Luke 18 and 19 is a lot about giving. But sometimes when we see those verses and we read those texts, because giving is something that we don't think pastors should talk about. You know, we don't think that churches should really talk about giving. We just go on past that. Not this morning. We're going to see just how much giving has to do in these two texts and, and learn as a disciple how to have a heart of giving. So let's read Luke 19. Let's begin in verse 1. Christ says, I mean, uh, Luke says here about the Lord, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. And I'll just call him Zach, by the way, today for short. So just kind of hang with me. He was a chief tax collector. Now, I want you to notice that the words chief tax collector and the name Zacchaeus are polar opposites. Zacchaeus literally means righteous one. Isn't that odd? I don't know who named Zacchaeus. I suspect his parents did, and I'm not sure of all those surroundings. We have no biblical record. But here's a man named Righteous One who is involved in a very unrighteous way of living, at least according to the Jews. Amen? But God knew that. So here he is, meeting a man living unrighteously and selfishly, but with the name Righteous One. This man, whose name was Righteous One, verse 3 says, he wanted to see Jesus. But being a short man... He could not because of the crowd. I felt that way at times. You know that? Uh, back in the 90s when the Braves won either the pennant or the World Series, we went down to downtown Atlanta and we were part of this parade to honor the Braves. And it, was, there was, it seemed like millions of people there. And I've got Brett with me. He's probably two or three. And Julie and me. And we're standing there. And it's just like everyone in front of us are giants. We can't see anybody. We can't see the floats. We're standing there looking by shoulder blades, you know, and... You know, why did we come here? So it's, the crowds can sometimes overwhelm you. Zacchaeus felt that way. But, you know, instead of saying, um, why am I here getting frustrated? You know what he did? The Bible says that he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree. So he could see Jesus. And this indicates to us just exactly how thirsty he really was. He didn't give up easily, did he? He found a tree. It was kind of a, short, some, uh, a somewhat short tree, but it was wide and, and pretty thick. He climbed this tree. Why did he climb it? Because Jesus was coming that way. This is a little rabbit trail, but you know, it's interesting. What would it take to stop you from seeing Jesus? A late Saturday night? A football game? Um, Just a busy schedule? Uh, A runny nose? At our home, sometimes we say this. We say, if, if we'll play soccer in the rain... We'll go to church in the rain. It's amazing what people do for things they love. Amen? I mean, they'll, they'll do all kinds of... They'll, they'll go to great lengths for things they really feel passionate about. And yet I found sometimes that for church and, and spiritual things that the Lord requires of us, we find almost easy ways to get out of it. Now, the fact that you're here would probably mean you don't need to hear that. But then you could pass the CD on to somebody who does. Amen? <laughs> I'm kidding you. I want you to think about that. Zacchaeus was not willing to let the smallest things keep him away. And if... If you're tempted this week to let something keep you away from from what's really important, maybe to let church become an afterthought, here's some advice from the life of Zacchaeus. Make church a forethought. Give it as much passion and energy as you would your favorite hobby. Amen? That's what Zacchaeus did. And so when Jesus Christ reached that spot in verse 5, He looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. I believe in that verse, in those words, are Christ's offer of salvation to Zacchaeus. The word must is a very important word, and it seems to indicate, textually speaking, that this is an imperative situation. Zacchaeus, you get down here right now. Come on down. You're the next contestant. You're the next victim. You're the next... I mean, it was not an option. And though we may not hear those words in our current day invitations, and though in our current culture of church we may not say, Dennis, 
God's calling your name today. Get down here. I mean, we don't say it that way. We're a little nicer. I believe this is a great example of a New Testament invitation. Now, Christ can give these kind because He's all-knowing. Amen? He knows the heart. and He knows. But Christ was saying to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, I know you're thirsty. I know you've been looking. I am the Messiah, the Son of God. Get down out of that tree. It's time we had an encounter. And Zacchaeus' response to come down immediately indicates that he did accept what Christ was offering. I believe at this point, this is my personal opinion, I believe that's the point in which Zacchaeus' heart was regenerated. Because later it says that, that when he responded about giving his stuff away, the Lord said, salvation has come to this house. There's only one way to explain that. Zacchaeus wasn't saved because he gave. He gave because he was saved. And when was he saved? When Christ called his name. And in those split seconds he said, Okay, Lord, I'll come down. That's obedience. And he obeyed the call of God upon his life. So let's keep reading. He came down out of the tree. And look at verse 6. He came down at once and welcomed him gladly. I think Zacchaeus was probably a pretty good party animal. You know that? I just think he had a good time when he went around places and he'd fit in good at First Family Church. Verse 7, all the people saw this and they began to mutter. That's that's a neat word. You know, when there's a lot of people welcoming the Lord gladly, that means their mouths are open, their hands are lifted. There's There's not a hiddenness about it. They're welcoming Him gladly. That will sometimes generate the opposite. People in a secret, kind of discreet way muttering. Well, who do those folks think they are? I mean, can't you see the opposites here? Hidden, kind of backbiting attitudes. Zacchaeus, he's a tax collector and one of the chief ones. And he's going with Jesus. But here's Zacchaeus. Jesus, glad to see you. Come on in. I mean, just it's interesting how, how people respond. Well, he goes to his house and when he gets there, there must be some time transition between 7 and 8 because apparently when they get to the house, he, uh, the people said, of course, he's going to be the guest of a sinner. Which, by the way, that's what they thought his name meant, I'm sure, at least practically speaking, wasn't it? By how he lived, Zacchaeus, man, he was a sinner man. But his name really meant righteous one. And now, his name truly meant that, didn't it? Well, some, at some point at home, he says, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look, here and now. Wow, this is awesome. He didn't say, i got to pray about it, Jesus. And he said, let me check my budget. Let me check with Mrs. Zacchaeus. Let me see what my accountant says. He said, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And by the way, that was a a non-required gesture. There's nothing in the law. There's nothing in that culture that said, if you repent and believe, you need to give half of what you owe. Nothing. But something about God entering his life prompted Zach to say what? God, you can have, have half of everything I got. That's pretty awesome. Now, I heard one man say one time, if he is really a good Christian, he'd have given it all. I'm thinking, man, have we? I mean, I'm not even close to half. Can I just be frank with you? Zacchaeus, this is an awesome testimony of, of spontaneous, voluntary giving. All because Christ had saved him and called him out of that tree and in a lot of ways called him out of hell and saved him. And then he makes this statement. He said, Lord, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything. And by the way, the, the word there, if, in the New Testament construction, it indicates that this is a situation that had occurred. It's like there's, there's different kinds of if clauses in the Greek language. I don't want to get too deep here for you, but just be aware of this. This is not saying that Zacchaeus is saying he never did. He's saying, Lord, since I have cheated, here's what I want to do. I will pay back. Four times the amount. Now watch this very carefully. I'm going to show you something totally awesome about Zacchaeus' response and what, how it indicates what God had done for him. According to the law, and I want to make sure I read these correctly, in Leviticus 6 and Exodus 22, you may want to jot those references down. Leviticus 6 and Exodus 22. If a thief voluntarily confessed his sin, then he had to restore what he took, you know, item for item, so to speak, and he had to add 20% to it, or a fifth. And then he had to also bring a trespass offering to the Lord. So if, if Michael steals something and fesses up, he pays back the item, gives 20% extra, and then he deals with God. I'm out of the picture at that point. But if a thief is caught with the goods, doesn't voluntarily confess, then he repays double. 
But guess what? If the thief is caught with the goods and he cannot restore what he stole, the law says in Exodus 22, Leviticus 6, he must repay fourfold. Now watch this. It's kind of like this progression of penalties. Where did Zacchaeus go immediately? To the highest level of repentance. He didn't say, Lord, since I've stolen, you know what, I think I'll just, I'll just give him back what I took. And you know what, since you're here, we're doing kind of the trespass offering thing maybe. And, and I could give him an extra 20%. He didn't say, Lord, uh, I didn't voluntarily confess, but I'm called. And you know what, since I, I'll just give him back double. Zacchaeus went, at least legally, to the highest level of repentance. Isn't that awesome? I mean, what does that show you about his heart? What does that show you about where he's at spiritually? Everything about his outward action shows us one thing, that when he's in the tree and the Lord called his name, something happened. God entered his life. And guess what? Say it with me. Giving became a way of life. The very first day. Wow. The Bible then says in verse 9, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. Don't you love that verse? And by the way, there is a literal sense to that word. Who was salvation? Can someone tell me? Jesus. So there's, this is not like a symbolic you know, church lingo phrase. He is saying, hey, guess what? I am at your house. Salvation's come to your house. I think that's a literal physical expression. Hey, Zacchaeus, salvation, he's speaking to himself, is in your house. And because you believed at that moment in the tree and came down and obeyed, because you have shown your belief by your giving, you are a son of Abraham. Isn't that awesome? And then verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. That would be, you could put a name over verse 10. Zacchaeus. Hey, Zacchaeus, you're right. I came through Jericho. But while I'm here, I saw you in a tree and I knew you were thirsty and looking. And so I said to you, I must come to your house. You responded and I came and you showed how you responded by your willingness to give way above and beyond the ordinary. Your level of repentance is at the highest degree possible legally. Your heart is repentant. Zacchaeus, truly, you have shown by your giving. Jehovah's entered your life. Isn't that an awesome story? I mean, I wonder in our, in our own life if that is something you could say about your experience meeting God. When God entered, did, it become a, did giving become a, a way of life for you? For me at 14, I remember when I was saved. And I didn't have much to give, but I, I can tell you, it, giving became something odd on that day. I ran out of that church building and I was crying and I was a wrestler and I was kind of a, you know, Mr. Youth Group, so it wasn't cool to cry. But man, I was, I was crying because God was, God had saved my soul and I didn't quite get it. And I felt weird because man, why am I crying so much? But I knew God had entered my life and I left that room and that building and I crossed the street and there's my older sister. Let me tell you how I knew God entered my life. I crossed the street crying. I gave my big sister a hug. I mean, I gave. I'm like, whoa, dude, what am I doing here? You know? And I mean, truly, when God enters our life, giving becomes a way of life, doesn't it? And we're not talking about always just money. So I want you to put that out of your head. Don't, don't put up the barrier and say, Todd's talking about money. He wants me to write a check. Yes, but that's not all I'm talking about. Amen? I'm talking about a whole attitude where suddenly, when God enters and we respond to His call, it's like we can't give enough. You know why that is? Let me tell you why. Because suddenly you begin to, to sense the urge and the need to live like God. See, he put his, when we believe, He put His Spirit, He puts His Spirit in us. God in your chest cavity. You may think that's crazy, but it's biblical. It's called the Holy Spirit. God in a bod, almost, you know? And so, as the Spirit of God dwells in you, He begins to help you act like God. Are you with me? Guess what one of the, the primary traits of God is? Giving. In fact, John 3.16, the, the first verse most of our kids learn says what? For God so loved the world that He said. You see, if you take John 3.16, you learn a lot about God. God is a loving God. God is a giving God. God is a forgiving God. All from one verse. 
And so when God enters your life and His Spirit begins to make you like Himself and like His Son, guess what one of the first things going to happen is? You just want to give. You're going to have this open-armed giving attitude. Have you ever wondered what kind of things people gave in the Bible? Because maybe as you hear this, you're saying, Todd, I would like to give, but I just don't know what I can give. I mean, I'm not very wealthy. Um, I've got a work schedule that is just incredibly long. I mean, Todd, if you could look inside my chest cavity, I'm not really anti-giving. I just don't know what to give. I've got a weird situation. Or or I I had some bad uh, decisions before I was saved. I became a Christian. I've got loads of debt. I mean, there could be a lot of things you're thinking now. So you're thinking, Todd, what do I give? That's a great question. Can I show you a quick list of things given in the Bible? I think all of you will do this when I'm done. You'll go like this. You'll go, I feel better now. Because God's not only after folks like Zacchaeus. God is after all who are lost. And when He enters anybody's life, guess what happens? Say it with me. Giving becomes, say it with me. Giving becomes a way of life. Look at this quick list. You may want to jot this down. A widow gave all of her flour and oil in 1 Kings 17. That's all she had. And what I love about the story is the prophet, when he asked her to give it, she said uh, to the prophet, this is all I have and my son and me are going to fix a cake and then we're going to starve to death. Now the words in the Bible are we're going to lay down and die. But what she's saying is, this is all the flour and all I have. I've got enough for one meal. I'm going to make one meal and then we're going to just wait till we die of starvation. And the prophet looked at her and said, I'll tell you what, you give that flower on and you give it to me. Now, that's an odd request. That wasn't prophet appreciation month, probably was. It? I mean, that's a, that's a strange one. But he said, give it to me. And she obeyed because prophets spoke directly from God. It's a different, different kind of economy at that point. She obeyed, and the Bible says that her flour and oil never ran out from that point on. But she didn't know that like we do. On the front end, she's like, okay, Mr. Prophet Man. If God is speaking, here's the flower and oil. That's all she gave. Enough for one cake. Now it's like maybe a cup. I don't know. I mean, I've seen my wife make stuff. It's not like a huge bag. It's a little bit. But she gave it. Isn't that awesome? The Israelites gave a tenth of their grain and crops in Nehemiah 12. They were coming back to the land and celebrating the walls being finished. And they all brought their grain and crops. We've got a man in our church who um, is devising a plan. Even when we talk to begin kind of a first family farmer's market. And we may be years from this. But he's trying to find the best time of year and the best way for all of us to plant gardens. And then for a certain time period every year, and I'm not, I know nothing about gardening, so just hang with me if I look stupid here, but to bring all this stuff and then to invite our community on certain times of the weekend and even to our church family. Just say, you know what? Take what you need. Wouldn't that be awesome? If maybe for four or five weeks at the end of harvest season, I'm okay here, Bob, so far. Is this, is this the right phrase? Okay. At the end of when, when you pick the things you plant, you know, if we just packed our, our auditorium wherever we're meeting, if we packed it full of stuff and said, hey, come get what you need, wouldn't it be awesome to actually give a portion of what we grow? We have good precedence for that. Um, a widow gave two mites in Luke 21. By the way, in our economy, two mites would be about a nickel. But in that passage, Christ said to the, to, the, to the disciples, she has put in more than all the Pharisees put together. That's, that's impressive. A little boy gave his lunch in John 6. And of course, from that, uh, what did the lunch feed? Probably over, over seven or 8,000 people. At least 5,000 men. Their wives and children. That's a seriously big sack lunch, isn't it? I mean, we're packing lunch at night, and I think, man, Brett... Bethany and Brooke and Brianna, what if you could take this little lunch and feed all of Ankeny schools? That'd be awesome. It's a pretty big sack, if you ask me. Look at this. The first church gave their possessions and belongings in Acts 2. And we're not talking about, well, you need a pair of socks. Here you go. I think that's great. We're talking land, houses. In fact, they even sold their stuff, took the, the profit, and gave to people who had need. Man, what a church. What a church. Look at this. Timothy gave his time for an extended period in Acts 16. Paul came through where he lived. And he said, Timothy, I want you to join me. Timothy got circumcised as probably a 16 to 18 year old young man. And then he hung out with Paul for probably an extended period of time as a student missionary. Isn't that pretty awesome? He could have stayed home and said, man, I'm not old enough to go. What do you want with me? I don't." Have... But he said, Paul, I'll go. And he hung out with Paul. Isn't that pretty awesome? As a young kid. 
Look at this. Aquila and Priscilla gave their time and skills to disciple Apollos. And by the way, Apollos was a really gifted speaker. He was someone that really was used by the early church. And yet there was this couple who knew the way of God more thoroughly, the Bible says. And they said, Apollos, come into our home and let us disciple you. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? They didn't ask for the platform. They didn't want a lot of public time. They just said, just come into our home. Man, when I read that verse, I think about so many lighthouse leaders who are inviting folks to their home so they can be discipled. Way to go, first family. Look at this. The Macedonian churches gave money to other churches in 2 Corinthians 8. And by the way, if you read this chapter, and it might be a good chapter for lighthouses to read this week, that church was flat broke. It was. That church was giving, the Bible says, out of their poverty. I don't know how they did that. I don't know if they took up special collections. I don't know if they said, folks, sell some stuff and bring the money. But somehow, this church who had nothing gave anyway. And it makes some really good reading in 2 Corinthians 8. Let's look at two more here. Lydia gave her home to start the church in Philippi in Acts 16. And by the way, that was her first act of giving after she became a Christian. She met Paul down at the place of prayer. I'll read that chapter. Became a Christian. She believed the message. You know what she said? She said, hey, Paul, I got a home. You're a preacher. Lead my home. Let's see other folks get saved. Because God entered her life. Guess what? Giving, say it with me, became a way of life. The Philippian church, this is interesting here, she started this church with the Apostle Paul, gave her home to do it, and then this church ended up giving money to Paul's missionary efforts in Philippians 4. I mean, all through the Bible, Old and New Testament, you find people giving, not just financially, but of their, of their energy, of their possessions, pretty awesome, isn't it? You can see why in the Bible giving is a prominent subject. In fact, we mentioned this a few weeks ago. You know that Christ talked more about giving than He did heaven and hell? Sobering, isn't it? And yet, in church, what do we primarily do? Talk about everything but giving. Which should be the primary thing people do because God's entered our life. When I see this list of what folks gave in the Bible, I'm going to be real honest with you here. I'm always real honest with you. I don't know why I say things like that sometimes, you know. Okay, I'll be dishonest for a little while, and I'll be honest with you. That's crazy. And what I mean to say is I'm going to be extra transparent with you. When I see that list, and this week reading through those passages and just studying and just getting a glimpse of all the ways giving is in the Bible and feeling very convicted about my own selfishness. And I thought, boy, this our church... Um, you guys remind me a lot of those lists. I'm, not, I'm, I'm just being real transparent with you. Can we give more? Sure. I, I could lead the list and, how I could, and to give more. I know I could. But I wrote down some ways that we've given in, in two short years. And I want to say these, as, these things as, as, as a way to give glory to God, as He's used a lot of you. But if you're new to First Family, a few months old, if you're checking out First Family today, I want to just be up front with you. You're in a church with a heart of giving. And I'm not talking about just money. I mean, they will give you the shirt off their back, literally. They'll give you their Saturday. They'll give you their Sunday night. They'll give you the night of the week. They'll give you the early morning. They'll give you their stuff. They'll let you borrow their car. I mean, this church, and I say this with, with all glory to God, this church is a giving church. I mean, let me run through some things with you. Okay? Remember that we started in September of 2004, two years and about a month ago. We're 25 months old, officially. Remember in, uh, I think it was January of 2005, we came to you with about an hour's notice and said, we need to collect money for a missionary going to help the tsunami people. Remember that? A lot of you probably don't. You may be new here, but a lot of you probably do. And in that one Sunday, in addition to our regular offering, you gave over $10,000. We weren't even running 100 people at that point. We were probably in the 90s. And yet, somehow, God moved upon your hearts to give over $10,000. We combined that with a church in Sailorville who gave about 10000 And uh, Russ Matthews, who we support as a missionary to Australia, Russ Matthews left the next week or two with over $20,000 to help those folks who were hit by that tsunami. With a week to work with. That's pretty awesome, folks. I want to thank you for giving of your stuff. Remember the very first special offering we took, Easter of 2005? There was about maybe 150 of us. I'm not sure all the numbers, but approximately. And about 80 of those were kids, (laughs) to be frank with you. you There's not a lot of giving in kids, I'm just telling you, right? Not a lot of income potential. But in that first um, 
a special offering. We take two special offerings a year, Easter and Christmas, uh, Easter and Thanksgiving. In that first offering, uh, you guys gave financially over $25,000. After in January, you gave over 10000 I remember the elders were meeting in that uh, prior to that, thinking, okay, how are we going to split the money up when the folks give it? And we kind of figured if they gave about 12000 we could split that half to missions and half to our land. You guys gave over 25000 and we were, I remember after the fact, thinking, what are we going to do with this money? <laughs> All the others were like, we were inventing mission ideas, to, you know, and that's not really true in, in one sense, but it's amazing. We were just overwhelmed with your generosity. Remember that, that, that was a great start to our land fund, and, and since then, you guys have proven so faithful. Our last special offering, our last Easter, you guys gave over $50,000. We're a two year old church, at that point, probably 220, 250 people. You're very generous. Um, I remember one Christmas when we gathered. This is our very first Christmas. We gathered a lot of missionary families in our church. We brought in the adult daycare center at Nevlin called New Horizons, and they ministered to handicapped and mental and brain, a handicapped senior citizens and adults. What they ministered to. We brought them in the Baptist Children's Home. Remember those guys in Ankeny, the orphanage. Brought them in the Davidsons, and we just had Christmas on Sunday. And you guys brought tons of gifts. I mean, there was guys rolling in bikes, and I think folks brought in ovens. And I remember the front of that Netherlands Center we met was just packed. Remember that? It was floor to ceiling with gifts. And you saw Sherry Davidson crying, and then that one girl from the home. I mean, I, I, we got the video of this. She, she opens this one gift, and I, and I think it was the bike. I'm not sure if it was the actual bike. or a, I'm not sure how that worked, but her eyes went from, like, regular to, like, you know, saucers. She goes, somebody give me this, and... That was a great Christmas you guys gave. Remember the very next Christmas? When it was on Christmas Sunday? And we debated, what do we do? Do we meet for church on Christmas Sunday or Christmas Eve? And and God led us to hold 36 Christmas Day services. Remember that last year? You're like, 30, there's not that many hours in a day, Todd. You didn't speak very long that day, did you? You know, 36 Christmas, yeah. We went to every single business, open in Ankeny. And delivered Christmas goodies to them on Christmas. Remember that? All of our lighthouses. Remember our small group went to the theater and laid a plate of goodies and said, Hey, Merry Christmas. I know mean, you got to work today, but Merry Christmas. She's like, For me, you know, and she's just collecting money for the tickets. Quick trip, come and goes. Every place open. First family bombarded. And so instead of having church here on Christmas Day, we had 36 Christmas Day services. End quote. Service. Isn't that awesome? And all the small groups met on Christmas Day. Instead of saying, hey, that's my family day. Don't interrupt my time. We've got tradition. And you know what? I'm as big on that as anybody. Kids up at four, trying to get to the tree. I'm with you. But you know what? Who can't take an hour and a half or two hours and say, you know what? There's some folks who are working on today. They probably don't want to work either. Let's do something nice for them. What's wrong with that? And so you did. I remember um, our very first ministry fair. And we lined the hallway at Nevlin up with all the different ministers. You guys kind of paraded through there as folks grabbed you by the neck and tried to get you to serve, you know. And they grabbed your shirt and they reeled you in on fishing rods, right? And, and you saw all the ministries. And a lot of folks wrote back saying, Wow, Todd, I had no idea we could serve in this many places. A lot of you responded. Things were started there. Different folks got connected. I remember one year that um, just recently when one of our small groups collected clothes for the clothing exchange of Ankeny. You were asked to bring clothes in. So for a few Sundays, you just brought clothes in. You set them on the table, and they packed them up and took them upstairs and uh, were we meeting and gave clothes to our city for, for people who needed them. I remember last Christmas, one of our lighthouses actually gave money and collected money and then went and gave that money away. They went to Hy-Vee on, I think, two certain days and Walmart, different stores, and they stood out in front and they just watched. And they stood in, and I don't know where they stood exactly out front or in the in the lobby, but as folks began to pay their bills, they would go up to them and say, "Listen, uh, here, use this to help pay your bill." And they would give them twenty bucks, and just say, "That's from the Lord. Just bless you." Isn't that pretty neat? Now I, I think about what that would have been like to watch that. I mean, you never expect to have someone help you pay your bill, but for a couple of days there, first familyites were were helping people pay their their Christmas bills. Isn't that pretty neat? Um. Kind of the opposite of the Salvation Army bell ringers, right? They ring for you to give, and we hear the ring, we give to you. I mean, it's kind of like that. I remember this past year, on something other than finances, when we asked you to, to double your, your involvement in our lighthouses. We had seven small groups in our very first year. 
And then Randy led us through 40 days of community and he gathered some folks together and he really did a strong and a very good job at building our small groups to 20, 22 small groups. And in the course of that year, we realized, wow, most of our group leaders feel very overwhelmed. And so we pulled together coaches and then we upped the ante even more, so to speak. And this past year, we asked all of our small group leaders to come for a whole day of training and to expand that more. You know what? You guys did. You gave a whole day to be trained how to lead a good small group. Thank you for giving up that Saturday. Remember we had to, uh, six weeks ago we had to move in two days? Remember that? I do. <laughs> I remember that very vividly. We got word on Thursday morning, you can't meet an Ankeny Christian. There's water damage in the auditorium, and so you're, you need to find a new place. I'm like, i got to move a whole church in two days. So I went and, and got my staff together and cried for a while. And I said, guys, you know, we got to make this happen. And we got emails out. We got on the phone. You know what? On that Saturday at 3 o'clock, we met for seven. There's over 50 people saying, what can I do? Now, it's dwindled down, and I understand that. That's sometimes just the, the crisis and people respond to. But still, 3 o'clock every Saturday, you'll find a load of people driving this trailer in, hauling carts in. That's pretty awesome. It may have been easy to say, Todd, I didn't ask for this when I came to First Family. I wanted something more beautiful. I wanted a stationary place. I wanted something where, that I could get. Well, that's not First Family right now. We're a mobile church committed to reaching the city. You know what? That means that we just got to be mobile and flexible. It's job one. I think we're meeting in Parkview next week. But you know what? We may not. <laughs> as far as I know, we're here. But what if something happens? Are we going to just bail? No. I bet you a million dollars. Now, our people would respond and say, I'm there. I'm helping. I'm setting up. We've got a group of men that right now are working on one of our members' homes, getting their driveway fixed. They went to fix it in one Saturday. They took out the driveway and the retaining wall fell. It went from one Saturday to like four Saturdays. Did they complain and say, well, I'm not coming back. You know, hey, good luck, buddy. I didn't bargain for a retaining wall fixture. I just came to fix the concrete. No. They began to get word around, hey, guys, we're into something more than we thought. Let's just dig our heels in and make this happen. I mean, that's the kind of church First Family is. And I just want to commend you guys. I want to thank you for being so giving. I remember when we announced about our worship leader moving from part-time to full-time. And what that would mean for our budget. But we also knew that was what God was calling us to. And how God was leading us to really upgrade and make that happen. You know, today is, is Josh's last week as our interim. And you're saying, well, who's our new worship leader? We don't know yet. But we have several guys coming to guest worship leader the next month or so. Month, two months. And so Josh is today, he's back there kind of looking at me funny. He's his last day today. And, and I'm glad for Josh. Because he's got three boys now, a new one, and, and you know, it'll help him a lot. He still is going to play and be a part of things and transition. But I remember when we called and said, Josh, can you fill in till whenever? He said, I've talked to Marty. We're there. Isn't that awesome? I mean, that's just the kind of, that's the kind of people First Family has. Whether it's your time, your money, your talents... Giving becomes a way of life. And I'm not here to make you feel guilty this morning. I'm not here to, to get blood out of a turnip. I'm not here to pry you and, and leverage you know, my, the bully pulpit to make you give more. I'm really not. I'm just here to show you from the Bible that giving and sacrificing just becomes a way of life when you know God. You know why? Because that's what God does. And His children act just like Him. Amen. I am. Um, I'm intrigued when I see the last verse of this text, though, because it sheds light not only on why people gave in this story, but it sheds light on why you give. In fact, can I ask you to read Luke 19:10 with me? Read it out loud with me. Ready? For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. You know that verse just ought to be in your mind as you give. Set up, team. Uh, next Saturday night at 10 p.m. when we're setting up, just remember, we're setting up because Christ came to save lost people. And I know this is my area of giftedness, and I realize I get very passionate about this. But uh, that's okay. Without apology, this church is an outreach-focused church. And what's our posture? Open-armed. We are here so that people will come to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and be born again and discipled. We are to make disciples. So as you work the nursery, 
as you set up, as you tear down today, George heads our tear down team. And we need, I'll be honest with you, we need people to help us tear down and stay around. It's, it's a tough job. But you know what? You know what keeps those folks from grumbling and thinking, man, how much more have I got to give? Luke 19.10. Why do we set up? Why do we tear down? Why do we just really go after quality ministry with our kids? And why, are we, why do we do what we do? Why do we ask you to give so much? Because the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. That is the backbone, the foundation. You know what? Every week is, is we write our financial gifts. I think about that verse. Say, God, I don't know how you can use the little bit of money I have, but I just pray somebody will come to Christ. When we come and help set up, and we work in a class, and we lead our small group, you know what we're thinking to ourselves? Well, I don't know how you can use this, but I pray somebody will come to Christ. And there's something about that perspective that makes giving take on a whole new, new perspective. When God enters life, truly become a, a giving becomes a way of life. So let me ask you a question. What are you giving so that others will come to Christ? And don't answer out loud. But I want you to think about that question. What are you giving? Half of your possessions, like Zacchaeus, uh, paying back fourfold your time, your money. You see, we can give in one of three ways. We can give our time. We can give our money, which we could call treasure, and we can give our talents. I like to call that energy, your skills. But really, apart from that, you can't give anything else. I've discovered most everything you give falls into one of those three areas. Either your time, your treasure, or your talents. In fact, this morning I want to give you something to take home with you. I want to give you something. Don't, don't get your hopes up. Hang in there. But the is going to pass out a little yellow sheet. looks like this. Okay? And it is a I'm ready to give worksheet. And we're going to keep this behind us here for a minute because as you uh, are given this yellow worksheet, I want to ask you these three questions as we wrap things up this morning. Uh, let's go back to the previous slide, Dave, if we could. Are you biblically sharing your finances? Are you? Biblically sharing your finances. I believe 10% is an awesome place to begin sharing your finances. Giving a tenth of what God has given you. I also believe New Testament giving is sacrificial giving, so I think that staying at 10% personally is somewhat of a legalistic attitude. But moving forward, letting God meet your needs as you give sacrificially is a great way. Can I ask you an honest question? Don't answer it out loud, but if you're new to First Family or just being, being attending, are you actually supporting the work going on here? And I don't mean that to be brass or bull with you, but I want to be a, a good pastor to you. Now, are you financially investing to support the work at First Family Church? Are you biblically investing your time? On this sheet, there's a list of all the ministry teams and the ways that you can possibly help with your time. An hour a week, 30 minutes a week, three hours a week. All of us have varying amounts of time to give that's discretionary. How are you giving some to the Lord? And then are you biblically using your talents? Now, I thank God for the many talented people here. I don't know a thing about sound, projectors. I know very little about computers, um, painting and cars. I mean, there's all kinds of talents here that people are using. I mean, it's awesome. Folks come out. This, one of our deacons came out this week and fixed our copier. I mean, our, uh, our folder. He put the whole thing together and got it working. Just a lot of neat talents that people are sharing for the Lord. On this uh, giving worksheet, I want you to do two things with it. Now, listen very carefully. Uh, today's topic is given. I want you to do two things. If you look in the back there at that purple banner that's to serve, you look at that banner right there, you see that? Everybody look at that banner. At that banner today, um, there will be one of our deacons. Eric, will you raise your hand? Right there. Everybody look at Eric now. Great. He's going to be standing right by that serving banner. And he's got a worksheet with him that has every single one of these ministries on it and who's working where and where our biggest needs are and who's doing what. And this is kind of our one-person ministry fair this year. Instead of lining up all the ministries and them reaching out and grabbing you and thinking, come help us, and you feeling like it's an auction, you know, you just start thinking about this. This week and next week, Eric's going to be back there. And as God begins to lead your heart, just, just stop by the serve banner this week or next week and say, hey, I can do this pretty well. Is there an opening? Where can I serve? Or I would like to do this. Who do I call? Eric will have all the information you need. All of it. It's in one centralized place. By the serve banner. Just take this, begin to pray, begin to look. Some of you probably know right now. And say, Eric, where's the teardown team meet? How can I help? He will walk you through, give you a name, he'll take care of you totally. 
And one thing that's going to be good about this is we'll get more of an overview of, of where we're serving and, and trying to plug some holes that, that there are some gaps in and making sure that we have a, a good representation across our board so our church can continue to minister and, and seek those who are lost. If you're here and you've not been giving financially, if you've not been supporting First Family, I would just take the bottom part. It's perfed. I'd tear it off. And I, and I would just either put in there like, and there's no place in your name. We don't need to know that. But just put in there, you know, Todd, I, I want to start giving 50 bucks a month. That's just, what, 12 bucks a week or something like that. I'm just going to give some money to you. That'd be great. I'd encourage you to start at 10% of what you make. But if not, if, if, if this is your new Christian, like I'm going to do this, fill in the amount there and then, and then go to our financial peace class and learn about how to get more debt free so you can be more biblical in your giving. Maybe you're already giving and you want to increase. I know our family began to increase ours this week. You know why? Because if our families gave $15 a week extra, that's a lot of money. I know 60 bucks a month. That's a lot of money. But we explained this last November. If, our, if every family just gave an extra 15 bucks a week, we could have our land paid off before the end of 07. Now, I know it's asking a lot. I realize that. But can you do part of that? You know, Has God maybe freed up some of your finances to where you could give more? I'm just asking. I don't want to be a timid pastor. Amen? And I don't want to lead our church with timidity. And folks, I'm just going to be frank with you. Your time and your treasure and your, your talents are part of what makes this church so awesome. Amen? It's God that makes it awesome, but He uses us. So take this worksheet, start praying about it, and say, Lord, how could I give so that it shows without a doubt, just like Zacchaeus, you have entered my life. I want you to meet some people who could, who could say the very same thing to you. They've given a lot the last few weeks. I want them to hear, you to hear from them as we close. Can I ask our Peru team to join me for a minute? We're running a little behind, so forgive me for taking a little longer than I should have. But I want to just let you meet these guys, and then we'll close with a song. And the donuts will still be there, so don't worry. These guys went to Peru with us. Some of the bands coming up too, so um, they're going to get in place. But this is our Peru team, and um, I'll make sure you grab that mic behind you, Lori, and you'll grab that mic behind you, George. Um, these guys went to Peru about two or three weeks ago. Is that right, George? I mean, a bop. Yeah. And apparently, the hats were the end item. Let me ask you: uh, Can a couple of you share what did you give when you got to Peru? Um, what did I give? I guess, um, well, time away from my family is Good. what I gave. Is her family here? Is Rich here and her boys? Like no, second service. Okay. There's Michaela right there. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Thanks for giving your mom away for a week. <laughs> but uh, to be honest, I got a lot more than I, than I gave. Wow. So you felt like you received. Oh, amen. amen. <laughs> what did some of you give? Either physical items or anything even symbolically. Um, I would say for me, um, I uh, I guess I'm a I'm I'm kind of a oh I kind of stay uh, in my own little world and usually stay at home and I, I like my own security and I like to do whatever I want to do and so for me um, just saying you know what I'm gonna who cares about my fears I'm just gonna give it up and I'm gonna go and uh, you know it was. You hear stories about other countries. I'd never been overseas or anything. And all of a sudden, it was just like God, you know, God took care of us. He, we never felt afraid. We never felt uh, fearful. And um, that's what I was afraid of. So I guess everything worked out. <laughs> Can you guys slide this leg? I want to see a picture behind you. Nate, did you give up any dignity at all? Because uh, behind you, there's, you're, an, you're an awesome clown. You know, I, we can't see that real well. But yeah, weren't well, you guys all clowns that week? Yeah, I, I, I don't think I had as big of a problem with that is Ryan. <laughs> um, yeah, I agreed to go on this trip. I was like, um, I want to go serve God overseas. I think that'd be awesome. And then I committed. And then we're like, oh, we're going to dress up as clowns. It's like, oh, that's that's great. Um, I think clowns are creepy. And that's about the most embarrassing thing I could think of to do to myself. But um, just throughout the week, God just really changed my heart about it. And I was honestly so weird about it when we got there. But by the end of the week, I was just, I was so blessed by the kids, and by the end of the week, I didn't even care, and when I got back, I didn't care to tell my family and show my friends all pictures of me as a clown. I really didn't care, and mm-hmm. I just know that it, I was able to use it for the Lord, and so I don't really care anymore about Amen. that. <laughs> hey, I got a question for you. I know a lot of you, all of you raised money, and you asked folks to give to help you, but I know you gave your own money as well, didn't you? So you gave. 
financially. You gave your time. Uh, one more person. What else did you give? I know Bob's getting George got a story. One of the things that uh, is very nice about being part of this church is as the money came and it came in and we got the support we needed, Bob and I decided that, you know, when you travel with a group of people, if you've ever taken out a team or you've ever gone as a family, you know, something always takes place. Somebody loses a purse. Somebody misplaces their passport. So we tried to take measures to keep that from happening. So Bob and I split some money between ourselves. So that way, if somebody lost something, we'd have something. If I lost my bag, we'd still have something in reserve. It's kind of like, you know, don't put all your eggs in one basket. But one of the things that we did give was on your behalf. Uh, We were there. We were finding out about a gentleman who was a Quechua. He's a, a native Indian from the area there. He's very old. He needed to have a surgery done. But surgery in that country is a little different. It starts off with something along the line of, oh, you need to have an incision made. Would you like Novocaine with that? Okay, that's 50 bucks. Pay now. It's not like we do. We go in, spend $5,000 getting four stitches put in an emergency room. There you pay ahead of time, and you make the plan of what you're going to receive. It's kind of like, you know, uh, a cafe kind of thing. Oh, you, you want to follow on treatment after that. Okay. So... We found out about this need, and we were sitting there thinking about it, and Bob and I just kind of looked at each other. We didn't have to say a thing. We knew exactly what the Lord would have us do. So we reached in our backpacks. We took out our emergency money. And on your behalf, there's a gentleman who received full medical care for the time that he was there. Now, for those of you that work in the medical profession, you know how expensive that can be. But there, $200 got a person the surgery they needed that will change their life. And that's on your behalf. Thank you for that privilege of being your representative in that. Amen. Hey, what's it like when you were down in, this is my last question, when you were down in Peru, we'll let some folks who haven't talked answer. When you're down in Peru, and you know that a lot of folks gave to help you, what did it, how did it make you want to give while you were there? Help me see inside of your own motives for a little bit as you knew how folks gave to get you there, so to speak. Um, I think the biggest thing for me while we were there is all the clothes that we received and everything. And um, giving the ki- we were handing out clothes one day and just seeing the kids physically running to us for one pair of underwear, not a package of underwear, one, and one pair of socks just mm-hmm. touched my heart. And I just it got me more and more excited to do more things like this, to give more and to help these kids and to help others around the world or here in Ankeny or Ames. I'm from Ames, sorry. I'm not a familiar face, um, but it just it excited me because it touched my heart so much. And like Lori said, I think I got I learned more and I I received more than I felt like I was giving. And they taught me more while I was there. So I think that was definitely a privilege. And it just excited me, like I said, to serve the Lord more. So, Amen. You know, these folks here are only representative of folks who've been this year. Uh, last February, we announced several mission trips. And I was calculating this past week. It is amazing how many people in this church since last February have contributed either their time, their talents, or their money in probably seven or more mission endeavors this past year. All the way from things in Iowa, all the way to things in America, and even internationally. Folks in Jamaica, Peru. I mean, we just, I, I get to that list as next missions month. But isn't that neat? How God has led it upon your heart to give. So I want to say thanks to you guys for giving financially using your talents as clowns that you learned under Bob and George, praise the Lord, and also your energy. And uh, they're better for it, and I believe we are too, aren't we? I want to ask us if we could to pray together for a moment.